Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. This is a very personal conversation for me, talking with Marianne as someone that I have walked alongside for over 20 years. And it's really important for me to say that I have, oh, so this makes me, (laughs) that I have been changed by her as much as she says that I have changed her. And I want people to hear that this is mutual discipleship. It is not top, bottom. It is alongside. And then the other thing was, for me, what stood out is her strong belief and hope that carried her, that her life wasn't meant to be this way, and that there was a different reality. So when she was presented with Jesus, she was able to see, this is it, love is the truth. For me, the the ability to sit with these stories that real people experience that I would prefer to pretend didn't happen. Mm. And yet here is someone who is pointing us to Jesus despite some horrendous experiences that she has had. Yeah. And so as we have this conversation, we need people to be aware of some of the topics that are, are referred to, and they include child sexual abuse, rape, suicide, and domestic violence. And so please take care of yourselves as you're listening to this. But ultimately, Marianne does offer us hope because of the love that she has found in Christ and Christ's body. So as Stephen has just said, take care as you listen. Welcome, Marianne. It's a real joy for me to be having this conversation with you on The Changes Ahead. And we have known each other for over 20 years And so we have a long story and history. And so today, love to hear a little bit about who Marianne is and also tell us how did we get to meet? Because, you know, we have very different lives and stories. And so how was it that you and I got to meet? So Marianne, tell us a little bit about you. So I guess 20, is it 23 years ago now? Yeah. I, uh, came to a Baptist church in Glen Eden and um, I think Alpha was running. So I had probably left a family violence relationship a year before coming to the church and a cousin of mine invited me to the church and she said, let's go for coffee. And I thought, oh, strange place to have coffee at a church. But unbeknown to me, Alpha was running (laughs) and you were part of Alpha, you and, and Jill. So you were the woman that I clearly remember being so influential in my life and continue to be. And um, I don't know, something about Alpha just kind of made me think this must be such a different way of thinking, that this Christ man, in my experiences, that men were never really great, but the way that you spoke about him, the way that other people spoke about him, must be an okay kind of person, a person that maybe sees me differently from how I actually saw myself right there and then. Wow. And so that was the start of your journey. That was the start of my journey. 
and you didn't know what you were coming to. And I even remember that your cousin didn't stay on, but you stayed on. Yeah, so she came the one time. But something in that moment, it just kind of, I don't know, made me see that there is this word that I kept seeing through my life was hope, Mm. that my life wasn't the way it was going to be, that all these words kept coming to the forefront of my mind. And stepping into that church and into that Alpha program, kind of like some of the words that were spoken that you are accepted, you belong, you are worthy, I thought they're foreign language. But the words I always got growing up, where I have no idea, but only I think now must have been God's words, that this is not how life is meant to be. I do remember that, Marianne, that powerful message that despite huge and complex trauma growing up, that something in you fundamentally believed there was a different reality. Yeah. That love was the truth. And so you kept on looking for it. And that God is what he says, that he is the God of love. Because I grew up in turmoil, constantly hypervigilant, constantly looking as to, is someone coming near my bedroom door? You know, I was sexually abused. I think the first incident that I can remember, I was three. And right up to the age of 15, where I was violently raped. But through all those years and all the people that abused me, there was always those words. You know, always the words that, and I don't know whether it's because I disassociated or ran away somewhere in my mind, but those words that this is not how life is meant to be always remain there. Mm. So coming into Alpha was like, that must be God, because who else would have those words? Mm. Mm. You've just spoken some yeah some of your experience that um is uh, on for for me as unimaginable yeah and and thinking of 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 anyone i care about but actually it doesn't matter anyone right um experiencing those things um i wonder could you talk us through some of the healing journey that you have been on uh since those incredibly difficult painful traumatic experiences happened I guess the healing, you know, I was thinking about like healing and seeds and there's this Māori quote and it talks about seeds. And I think if I think about paradynamics in terms of shifts, because I think what shaped me in terms of the healing was that, you know, in in family systems theory, there's a thing called homeostasis, you know, like the thing that keeps you there. You don't know any differently. And I think in my healing journey, I thought that this was it. My life was never going to amount to nothing. But the words that came to me all the time was that my life is going to matter. And the healing, healing is not an easy thing. You know, change is not easy. I kept thinking, you know, Kevin, yesterday I was like, we can continue talking the talk. We continue walking the walk. But to actually talk and walk at the same time is a lot harder it's kind of like in the healing, I had to get into a place of rawness to say this is how my life is, that it's never been easy. But I think I've had a lot of people that have spoken words into my life that were never afraid to sit. And Kathy was one of these women 
that was not afraid. She could not fix my story. She could not heal me, but she was not afraid to sit with me in my darkest, deepest, rawness parts of my being to just affirm me, to mm. talk on me, to say I'm here no matter what. I'm going to be here for the longevity of however long it takes. And then I went into different therapy techniques. I had to go through a process of deconstructing and reconstructing my mindset because mm. the things I thought were actually not true. They were not you know, like what I thought was a reality actually was not a reality. The expectations I put on myself were quite harsh. And in the deconstruction process, I learned actually who is this Mary Ann? Hmm. You know, thinking about if I could speak to this child, what would I say to her? What would have helped her grow differently from what she was experiencing? Kind of I had to learn to be present in my pain, I had to mm. understand that running away in my experiences of disassociation was not helping me. It actually helped me avoid things. And even learning to reconnect with myself to understand disrupted attachments because who is this person? Who is her in this healing journey? So healing takes many shapes and forms. Mm. But I think. The best healing for me was leaning in, leaning in and not being afraid, not being afraid of feeling the fear, not being afraid of breathing and pausing in the most hardest pain of even when I think about family violence and, you know, the image that always comes to my children's minds is the blood they see on the wall. They can never erase the blood, but we just have to learn languaging that says, I'm sorry that this was your experience. I'm sorry that you did not feel heard or protected by me, your mother. But in that moment, I was fighting for my own life. Mm. That's a powerful story. And what you're talking about is having, like you said, people that can sit with you in that pain. Because what you're talking about is there's no other, there's no other uh, doorway. No. And how do we create those mm. paradigm shifts? You know, how do we say, you know, change is important, but it doesn't always happen the way we want it to happen. It's a process. It's like like the walls of Jericho. People couldn't go around them. They couldn't go over them. They had to go through them. It's the same as the healing journey. Mm. So what kind of language is going to help support that? I guess it's kind of like, like how I had this image yesterday, the languaging is about weaving in and out. You know, it's like we talk about fantails in New Zealand. And I looked at that languaging of not being afraid to be in it, but to maneuver it, not to divert from it, but to be present in it, not to be afraid that it's going to expose some ugly truths and still being present and helping that person feel feed supported in their healing journey. Mm. And how do you speak to others who will be listening? When you've been doing this healing journey for at least from the time that I've known you for over 24 years, and when people think, am I there yet? When will I feel more whole? How do you speak to that in terms of how long this healing takes 
I think healing is a lifelong, it's a lifelong change. It's not an overnight thing. People think 10 sessions, oh, yes, you're going to be healed. There's no way you're going to heal in 10 sessions. Some people might, but I guess it's layers. Like if I think about the complexities of trauma, the layers upon which trauma embeds itself in you, it's like whipping away the layer, like an onion, unpacking it, looking at it, feeling it, examining it, hoping that this will not carry through. It's like when you get to one point, you think, oh, yes, I've done with that, and then something else happens. It's not a one-stop fix. Everything's going to be okay. Mm. I think I'm now at the point now understanding emotional intelligence in terms of kind of looking at what pain looks like. So this is my next journey that I'm looking at, understanding actually who am I after the impacts of trauma and how come some elements are still creeping in. Mm. You've talked about Kathy being present and being willing yeah. to be present in, in the, the deepest, darkest spaces. Yeah. Have there been other people or have there been other things that you have engaged with that have helped you in those spaces? There's been lots of people that have actually come alongside me in my journey. So I guess there was another woman who was at Alpha and, and her name was Jill. So she kind of came alongside me and she has this love of nature. Kathy does too. But I guess there's this quote and it's called Seeds and I'll just read it for you. And it kind of like I think what happens is I love different proverbs. So these kinds of things help plant in my head different seeds and how we can kind of utilise those things. So it's called poor poia te kākano kia poa wai. Nurture the seed and it will blossom. I can see different paradigm shifts because God, I guess, has kind of always been since I've come to know God, has always been in the forefront of my mind. He kind of gives me pictures. It helps me unfold and see things differently. I guess it's kind of like I've had other people that have come into my life that have helped me to discern, to not just take things as they are. I think I've always had lots and lots of questions. And the more I kind of have gone through my journey with other people, psychologists or friends sitting in nature, kind of just bathing in the awe of who God has created me to be. Those kinds of things help shift the thoughts in my mind to let me see that actually through it all, there's this Marianne, this woman who is not defined by what's happened to her, but she is defined by the changes that she continues to want to create to challenge systems. So these are the things that, have helped me in my journey. And mm. I guess a lot of it too, sometimes I wonder if it's part of my own psyche as a person. I wonder if, if it's my big picture things of this is not how life is meant to be. And mm. then finding people that help me express and explore what my thoughts are. Mm. And I've always appreciated and loved that you are a questioner. And so you're always asking, but why? But why? And you're right, having other people that can do that with you. And that creates that space for, like you say, new new ways of thinking, new possibilities. So 
in terms of like going forward, where where do you find yourself now? This journey has obviously shaped you both individually, but also in terms of where you are, the work that you are involved in. It's really interesting because, I mean, I've been now working, as long as I've known you, I've worked as a social worker. And it's not kind of a job that I would have kind of just willingly gone into. My late son, who passed away from suicide, probably, I think it's 22 years now. But I guess in all the trauma that we all experienced as a family, he probably was like one of my cheerleaders that saw things in me that I couldn't see, which was, you should work with people. And I used to think, no, I can't work with people. I'm really messed up. How can I work with people? You know, get lots of messages from child protection saying, I'm the worst mother. But here I am. 22 years later, and I work as a family violence consultant and a therapeutic specialist. And I think I'm actually privileged to work in that role because I don't have all the answers. But what I do have is the same kind of things that we've been on this journey together is being present, not being afraid, being there to hear the narratives that these women come to me with because I'm their voice. Mm. I now have to present their cases and say they are so deserving of the help that they need. As soon as I hear the word complex trauma, too much stuff, makes me more excited because then I think, great, this is so good. That means they have layers that need to be worked through to be given the same hope that I was given, to be able to feel comfortable in their skin and in their stuff that they're working through to make sure that their voice and their children's voices are at the forefront of any systemic challenges that we as an organisation need to implement, to understand that we need to continue, like for myself, to continue to walk and work in compassion and humility because I have all these theories and have all these templates and all these strategic plans, but I guess for me the bottom line is how do we make a dent and the system that these families work in? How do we make them understand that they are still human despite the circumstances that they face? Mm. And I guess your ability to work in that space, you're, you're mirroring what you've experienced and you're choosing to sit with people in their darkest spaces, mm. Mm. having known yeah, that that has been a part of your healing journey. So that's, that's incredible. It, it must be pretty difficult though as well at, at times or, or all the time so how do you manage the I guess the the balance of of empathy and and kind of care and concern with just the, the weight of the stories that you're you're sitting with yeah from your past but also the people that you're you're serving and, and working with at the moment yeah I guess it's kind of having an awareness of my own self mm. as being mm. in touch with who I am as a person having ongoing supervision and also I guess it's kind of I'm not afraid to ask questions I'm not afraid to challenge people's thoughts mm. even if I think it's might kind of prick some things that are not going to be okay it's kind of like I have questions like I'm wondering what happened in that moment help me understand what's going on for you right now help me see a picture of how you see that your present situation how does it help you and your children? So it's kind of not making judgments, but it's exploring. 
because I think for myself, I think when I was this young woman who needed someone to help me unpack and evolve, what were the kind of languaging that I needed? It wasn't a language of put-downs of, Marianne, why do you think that you're still in there and how come you're not out of there yet? These women, a lot of them stay in there because there's a lot of reasons why. And even reasons in terms of financial stuff, cultural stuff, spiritual stuff. But I think I'm quite privileged to actually help unpack so they can see their own story. Because at the end of the day, this is their journey. This is their story. And my job is to make sure that I practice the best I can by making sure that I am healthy mentally and spiritually in my own being and understand this is their journey. It's not my journey. Mm. I'm a facilitator of where they need to go to next. Mm. And again, you're highlighting this powerful thing that we talk a lot about, which we we refer to as that real active listening. But you're you're getting them to notice their own story mm. because often they're so. Would you say they're so embedded in it that they don't even realize? what is shaping them so your questioning is to get them to tell their story and to see it in a way that maybe they haven't realized before yeah is, is that what you're saying that's what i'm saying for them to make sense of their story for them to i spoke to a young girl yesterday to understand why does she keeps attracting the same kind of relationship and we talked about homeostasis we talked about this is the familiar this is what you know it's like riding a bike. How do you change the familiar to be something different? You keep getting on the bike. You have to learn how to maneuver your legs. You have to learn how to maneuver the handlebars. It's the same as when you're coming out of family violence. Mm. So it's good to kind of explore actually what does the word trauma mean to people? So trauma comes in many different forms, but mm. I guess it's kind of, the physiological stuff around trauma is how does the mind, body, and soul connect to that trauma and okay. what actually needs to change. So trauma can, can be different for many different people. You know, like in terms of my trauma, my trauma was sexual abuse. Mm. And people think, oh, it must be because you lived in a low socioeconomic family. <clears throat> that was not the case. My parents were both highly educated. We mm. owned our own home but there was still trauma. So trauma, no matter where, where you are, what stage of life, what, uh, you know, in terms of your financial status, <clears throat> trauma just creeps in. Mm. You know, if we're, if we're going to name trauma, we need to name trauma as this is what's happened to me. Something's happened to me that's taken me out of my being, that's made me feel uncomfortable, that makes me say, oh, I don't like it. I either run away, I either freeze, or I stay present and just can't move. And what I'm hearing you say as well is, is there's really obvious things that would be traumatic for people in their experiences, but perhaps there's yeah. other things that, that are, are more subtle that could cause trauma in people's lives. Which is the which is the words? Like, you know, people think, oh, it's a joke. It's like they'll walk past or they'll say things like, oh, you just cry like a girl. Mm. Uh, excuse mm. me, what does yeah. cry like a girl mean? Yeah. Does it mean that yeah. there's something wrong with me as a girl? There's something wrong with you as a boy. You know, it's, it's those things. It's the subtle languaging. It's yeah. the emotional abuse. It's the coercion, the, you know, in terms of making people feel that you owe them something mm -hmm. and then you 
pour out all this money into something that you shouldn't have or someone, you know, because you're my husband or you're my wife, you have to sign this document. We have to get credit, you know, and then before you know it, that person leaves the relationship and the other person left in bankruptcy. It's Mm -hmm. the put downs. So psychological, emotional, you know, those types of abuse stays more with a person than the physical. You know, we talked about my blood being all over the wall. That was a physical thing, mm. but that's kind of gone. The things that I deal with or have worked through throughout my healing journey is the thoughts that mm. uh, I'm not good enough. The I uh, I put my children through all the stuff. I'm the worst mother in the world. Mm. I couldn't understand my children. So you know those kinds of words they remain with you, and especially when people have spoken them over you, mm. or there she goes again. There's her mouth. She's yelling again. It's her. So this podcast, we're reflecting on the changes that are necessary for the church going forwards. And if I'm honest, this topic that we've just been talking about, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily in the forefront of our minds as as churches. It's it's almost like we imagine it's this this terrible thing out there, and it's hard to acknowledge that it might actually be a part of the story of some of the people who are in our church spaces. Mm. Would that be your experience? And how much of this do we naturally need to name as an issue for some of us in the church? I guess it's, no, I don't guess. I actually see there's there's this, as a church, are we aware of power dynamics? Are we aware of what actually power imbalances mean in our churches? Do we actually see, uh, you know, like we have leaders and how do they actually express themselves? Are we aware that, you know, when we're using languaging in terms of biblical references, you know, that some people take those out of context and say, oh, well, you're my wife. You have to do what I say Mm. because it's biblically stated that you have to honour me and obey me. So those are the types of forms that if we're thinking of spiritual abuse or power imbalances, those are the types of things that happen in the church. It's like blaming, victim blaming, misusing scripture, uh, looking at traditions and kind of changing them and thinking, well, you know, some people in the church change them to suit them, even in terms of uh, other church uh, aware of how they reinforce teachings around power imbalances, you know, in terms of men, women roles, girls, Mm. boys roles, Mm. you know, thinking about those things. And they're subtle things, you know, I don't think we're really aware that it actually happens, but it happens. Right. Is there some that you can point to for yourself in terms of some of those subtle messages that you have received? Yeah, I think it's kind of like, I think for me it was like when I came into the church, some people couldn't handle what I'd gone through. So it was like, I guess some of the messages that weren't helpful was you just keep praying, keep praying God will heal you. Why Why are you not praying enough, Marianne? You know, are you not spending enough time in God's word to actually help you in the healing process? Well, so there's almost an, an over-spiritualization of, of healing that, yeah. that God can and does do. But as he does, talking yeah. about, this is not something that just happens at the click of a finger. It's something that no. is a lifelong journey, even, I think you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I also guess it's kind of like, you know, even in the, in the church context, 
how how are leaders and pastors present when people come to them with with these types of struggles? Mm. You know, if mm. if a a couple are having disputes, you know, what what is the role of the church? How do they actually address that? Mm-hmm. You know, what are the words that they use to actually help that couple? Yeah. Do they send them away or do they sit with them? Are they equipped to sit with them? Which is a crucial question, isn't it? Because, you know, yeah. I'm a pastor of a, a small church and I, I haven't been trained or equipped to mm. sit in the space of dealing with people who are in, in that situation. And I'm hearing you say we can't have our head in the sand uh, no. about this, that this is happening, you know, that violence happens amongst Christian people, uh, uh, Christian couples <laughs> and people who are in the church. And so that's just highlighting a real gap, I think. And many, I mean, I guess there are some ministers who have been trained in, in that kind of space, but my guess would be that the majority of us haven't. So that's that's a really important point you're highlighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and actually how, how do we as a church kind of, you know, really look at relationships in the church, mm. relationships between leaders, pastors, and the congregation. Mm. What are the messages that we highlight in terms of our relationship, in terms of being on the same wavelength mm. platform rather than I'm here, you're here? Yeah. Mm. Could you unpack that a little bit more? Just the kind of, I guess, yeah, the, the, the power dynamic between pastor and, and congregation. Yeah, the top-down thing, it's kind of like I think, you know, sometimes I guess if I think about my experience first coming to church, I thought these people were like everything. They have all the words. They yeah. knew everything. Yeah. And then sometimes there would be these little messages. I think, oh, no, that's not true. That's actually uh, not a very good way of thinking. I thought that, oh, yes, they have it all together. Or, you know, they have so much authority over the congregation that the congregation sits and just listens, but doesn't question. Mm. And you're really highlighting something there, Marianne, that someone new coming in, and if they've got that sense of, you know, you're the authority, they could just absorb stuff that is, I would imagine, reinforcing some of the harm that they've come in with. Yes. And they're not, not everyone's like you to go, oh, that doesn't sound right. Something in you was questioning. So, yeah, what would you speak to that? I guess it's kind of, you know, like we have we have Bible studies, we have connect groups, or it's kind of like when we're reading scriptures, I always think, actually, what does that scripture really mean for that person? What is their understanding of the scripture? Hmm. Because sometimes I think we get these messages that, you know, it's the same as like, if I think about uh, the woman at the well, you know, the story of the woman at the well and somebody coming in that has gone through that same thing and then they feel downtrodden. That must be so true. That must be the way that God sees me. But then a leader could go, no, actually, in that time, Jesus decided he was going to be present for her. He didn't say, yes, this life is great, but let's look at a different way. So that's unpacking scriptures. So it makes a different connotation rather than you're downtrodden. There's something terribly wrong with you, and the Bible says so. Mm. Well, the a challenge of the way we use scripture to to dominate or to yeah to oppress people which is mm. you know, the, mm. the last thing it's it's meant meant to do yeah yes yeah and how do we unpack that yeah. you know and, and that's what i'm saying is that you know there's this 
like the weaving, when, when we first talked about the, the fantail, it's the darting in and out. How do we weave the different things together mm. that help people understand what shapes their thinking, what shifts their thinking, what realigns? Actually, what is God actually telling us about who we are in him, who he is in us, and how we walk this journey and unpacking what does it mean to have a relationship with each other, but with Christ that doesn't say, I'm bigger than you, you're smaller than me. And I imagine, you know, when you're in a church setting, because you've got all this understanding of your own experience and the stories you've heard of people coming in with, you know, this this complex trauma, that you're going, ah, oh, this is this could be interpreted this way. Oh my God. You you must be thinking, how is this being heard? Mm. Because you're really heightened to it. Yeah. And the good, the you know, it's great to have the kind of feel-good stories, the, you know, the, the preaching that says, yes, this is great. This is how much God's done with us. But sometimes I guess people coming in that have gone through their own trauma or it doesn't even have to be a major trauma. It could be a young girl that's grown up in church anyway that has self-doubt, mm-hmm. low self-esteem, that sits there and looks at her peers or looks at other people and thinks, wow, I've been in church all my life, but I'm still not good enough. Mm. And these messages are saying, yes, God is great, but how come I don't feel great? Mm. So what do they need to hear, Marianne? What would you suggest? That in our journey with God, There are going to be times that we don't feel great, but God is still good. He still loves us. We're still accepted, flaws and all, that we're still a human people and we're okay. Is that a message that you find yourself having to keep repeating? Yeah. Even just you saying that, it it reminds me of some of the... I guess the way that the gospel was presented to me as a a young person, um, Mm. and it, it starts... It starts in Genesis three. It starts with with sin, uh, mm. this, this kind of broken relationship, rather than starting at the beginning of God's story, which is which is the good, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And, and yet we we so often focus on, oh, I'm a I'm a terrible sinner, or I'm a yeah whatever, yeah. and so that doesn't encourage myself, well, right? Like yeah, or yes. yeah, yeah, well, young people or me, right? I, yeah. Um, yes. It's, it's the sense of of I'm I'm this yeah I guess it's yeah in old theological language with the idea of total depravity, which mm. yeah, it just is, is certainly it's an it's an unhelpful at best message that that many people can can get from being in church spaces. That's it. Because why is it? How is it that we don't still look in Genesis and look at the tree? the tree of good and evil, mm. of they are start side by side. And how come we don't walk in parallel to look at, yes, there's sin, but we're still accepted and God still wants to grow and develop and he's still good. Oh, that's great. Because it probably it's the only place where we don't keep that internal narrative being mm. so harsh and critical, yeah. which I can imagine, Marianne, is the constant journey. And what I've been hearing from you is that you have continued to keep walking in this, and I imagine you have to keep on being compassionate with yourself. 
because self-compassion is something that doesn't come easily. It can easily hook into the self-criticism. Those are the things that I'm very mindful of. And I guess not pushing myself to the point that I don't believe that I'm not good enough because I am good enough. I've just experienced things a lot differently than maybe someone else. But the compassion that I now have for myself is that, Miran, you're okay. Mm -hmm. You went through a horrific life, a life that you would never want for anyone else. Mm -hmm. But in that horrific life, you've learned a lot of things and you've got lots of things to give to other people for them to understand that the compassion that God has for that person or the compassion he has for me is something that I need to continually grow in. I think I think there's, but even in that, yeah, the narrative around self-compassion, you know, it's not even something that's really practiced in church. Yeah. Because then yeah. you're selfish. <gasps> yes. Okay, so. You're selfish. Yes. Could, we, could we just maybe just take a moment to speak to that? Yeah. Because I think you're right that the selfish narrative has really dominated. And so I wanted to give you the space to say, what do we need to hear? I guess we need to, we need to realise that we are, we are made up of a body in terms of our own mental, physical, spiritual dynamics in terms of who we are as a being. So when I think about self-compassion and people think, oh, that's selfish, you, you shouldn't be really worried about yourself. But actually, if we're not compassionate to ourselves, if we're not going out and taking a break, going and sitting, being still, we're never going to be who God actually created us to be. Jesus himself had mm. self-compassion. People mm. just don't know that that's the word. He went out, sat with his father, spent time in nature, you know, soaked up the rays. <laughs> so why don't we do that as a people? Why don't we accept that's part of our being, that that's what God wanted us to be, to understand ourselves so we can understand others, which is mm. self-compassion. Mm. Mm. It's striking me this theme is unexpectedly coming up on a, a number of our conversations this year. Just, you know, we, we had a conversation where we were talking about selflessness and the that's something that's held up really mm. high in, in church spaces. But actually, if you don't have a self to kind of to deny or to mm. to to give to others, then you've got nothing to give. Yeah. And that's I think that's just again being highlighted in, in what you're saying is 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 actually the self-compassion, self-care giving ourselves the space uh, to, to know who we are in, in Jesus um, is so, so vital. Yeah. Yeah. God has obviously used the, the trauma for, mm. for helping others. Yeah. But the, the question that comes up for me in, in that is God obviously, he didn't allow it. Yeah. In no. that, but like, and so it's not like God wanted you to go through this no. just so you could help someone else later in life. And no. that's often a narrative that I think can be spoken to people in, in situations where, you know, oh, well, that's, yeah, look, look at how God is using that. And that's, and that's another narrative that's not a very nice narrative. No. Because no. I don't believe God wanted me to go through any of that stuff. Of course stuff. not. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. The people that chose to do what they did to me, that was their choice. It's yes. the same in family violence. Yes. They choose to subject people to uh, uh, physical, mental, spiritual violence mm. because that's their choices to control. It's yeah. the same as when we talked about power dynamics in the church, mm. the same power dynamics in relationships. I don't believe God wants anyone to go through that. No. 
but people, because of the nature of other people's control or wanting to control someone, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah. people get misconstrued. They think, oh, yes, no, God allowed that. There's no way. God does not work. It says in the Bible, his thing for us is to have goodness, to have wholeness. He promises to keep us abundance. Abundance. He wants us to have this spread. He doesn't want us to be subjected to abuse. Mm. Man chooses to abuse us. Mm. It goes back to Genesis, the trees, when we talked about the good and the evil. Mm. And I think, you know, people often ask me, how do I work in my job for so many years? Mm. And that's it. Right. It's understanding the self. Yeah. To be able to give out of the self, you have to know about your own self. Mm. Wow. Marianne, I wonder as we are um, mm. wrapping up, there might be people listening who are in the thick of some of the worst um, yeah. uh, that, uh, that you have described or, or perhaps other things. Where yeah, yeah, you're our first international guest. You're now in Melbourne, but um, so where where would you guide people? Yeah, you know, if the, if they're needing help uh, in, in this area. So I guess in where I am in Melbourne, they can ring up one eight hundred respect. Okay, there is different Orange Door. New Zealand would have the same equivalents. You know, different psychology organisations. There's always a point of call if they're facing safety issues. They need to ring the place. Yeah, and in in New Zealand, I I, I see that there's there's different organisations, things like um, the Shine um, Free Helpline that that people can call. Uh, just googling that, there's a website ruok.org.nz. Um, there's a number of resources that people can engage with. Yeah, that that will be able to help. So yeah, thank you for highlighting those. And is there anything in terms of first steps for people as well in terms of facing up to their pain. Is there anything you just want to offer from your own experience? I guess it's just acknowledging that the pain that they're in is not an easy place to be. But over time, walking and chipping away at it, it becomes a lot different. It becomes less painful in terms of understanding of where you're at Mm. yeah we need that hope Mm. and Marianne thank you so much for your openness and vulnerability to let us see the journey you've been on and the hope in that and I hope as people are listening that they realize that healing is a lifelong journey Mm. and that they will stop being maybe so hard on themselves to think, why aren't I here yet? And I really love the the way that you've emphasised the compassion. Mm. So we want to leave that with our listeners, that that's where we need to practise deeper compassion towards ourselves. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. After the interview with Marianne, She offered us some further questions for pastors and church leaders that we felt were important to leave with you. What is the culture of our churches in responding to allegations of abuse? What are the policies and procedures for ensuring disclosure is safe? And how do we allow a person to feel safe and taken seriously when sharing their story?
acknowledging that there may be fear of retribution from the person using violence or concern that people may side with that person using violence. How do we address the power dynamics if the allegation is directed towards someone in leadership or is simply more well-known or liked than the person who is experiencing the violence? So Marianne would encourage all churches to create safe spaces to listen, to create a safety plan, and to ensure they connect the person experiencing violence to the appropriate support services, like the Women's Refuge or the other organizations mentioned in this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, or you've got thoughts about the changes ahead for the church, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Changes Aheadcast, or email us at the Changes Ahead podcast at gmail.com. See you next time.